So I hope you have this card for this preaching series. Okay, are you in 1 Thessalonians now? I thought it was... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good, because we're actually going to start in Acts chapter 17. <laughs> See, what I want to do this morning is, is set the scene a little, uh, what was going on at this time in Paul's life, and then we're going to start on this series called Live the Life. Live the Life in a Hostile Environment, or a Difficult Environment. If, you're, if you feel your environment isn't actually hostile to the Christian faith, then Perhaps it's difficult uh, to live as a Christian in your work environment or whatever. There are challenges for all of us in different ways, and uh, we, need to, we need to know how to live the life. And we need to know that we need to be alongside the Lord and let the presence of God be our guide. And so uh, we'll get on to that sort of thing during this series, the presence of God, as Dom talked about last week, will also be a constant theme, that we know the Lord and we have him with us. He's the king of all creation. He knows every man's heart, as we've just been singing, and he's Lord of all. So, uh, to, get, to get some background, Acts chapter 17, now, when they pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And there were babies there. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who've turned the world upside down have come here also. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we were known for turning the world upside down? Don't you think? Mm, perhaps. Mm. Okay. Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they'd taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue 
And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Oh Lord, as we come to this, we come to this book that may be not so familiar to a lot of people. Lord, I pray that you will give, grant us all the wisdom and fruitfulness from these days of suffering that Paul and his friends endured. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Silas and Timothy and Paul were travelling and they came to Philippi and they got imprisoned. I don't know if you remember that before the passage we just read. I couldn't read all of Acts. So, they were imprisoned there and when they were released, they went off and came to Thessalonica. And there was immediate success in the gospel, immediately. People started coming to Christ. Jews, Gentiles, which means every other nation on earth apart from Jews. So people from all the nations in Thessalonica were coming to Christ, getting saved, having their lives transformed, rejoicing in God. They were, they were an, an excited bundle of people, I bet. If you'd gone in there after a week or two of Paul's preaching, I bet you'd have caught up in, get caught up in the atmosphere and you'd have got excited too. People were amazingly transformed. And not a few leading women also. So it was a really amazing place to be part of. You know, there was a buzz. The Holy Spirit was doing things, as we will be reading shortly. The Holy Spirit was doing amazing things. And uh, so people were probably not only getting saved, but getting healed of sicknesses, diseases, maybe mentally healed. People who are having mental difficulties will be healed as well. There was no end to the miracles. Paul preached and signs followed. And God was there in their midst. And the presence of God must have been powerful in that company of people. When you joined them, it must have been kaboom, wow. What is going on here? My life feels lighter. I'm transformed from a grumpy old boy to a bright young thing. That's been all our experience, hasn't it? I've been transformed. My horizon has widened. My hope has come. I was a hopeless person. Now I'm living in hope. 
of the return of Jesus Christ, this one who has saved me, this one who has transformed me, will come again. I'm excited about that. It's going to happen. It's been quite a long time since then, and he still hasn't come back yet. So there's more people to be saved, yeah? It must be true. If he's not returned, there's more people to be saved. Do you get it? And so this was an exciting, wonderful place to be, and then the Jews started to cause problems. They were jealous, and they started to cause problems. You know, Paul was looked after quite well. He suffered an awful lot, but he was looked after quite well as well. This whole gang of people shuffled him around the place, you know. So as we read in Acts, you know, he was, <laughs> he was shuffled out of Berea when the when the Jews came to Berea as well. There he is in the synagogue in Berea, and the, these Jews from Thessalonica turn up again. Oh, it's them again. Thought I'd, thought I'd left them behind in Thessalonica, and here they are again, shouting their stuff, trying to persuade the Gentiles that we were talking about an alternative to Caesar, when they were not talking about an alternative to Caesar at all, were they? No. So there was an incredible rerun in Berea, Thessalonica, and a group of people took him, a posse went with him and uh, took him to Athens. And he was released from that to fight other battles and to discover what God would do for him in Athens, which was a great time, as you probably know if you've read Acts. And so the Thessalonican Jews were jealous and trying to stop this message being sent around the place. And they started in Thessalonica by aggravating the situation there. And you can imagine this mixture of Christians gathering together and having a wonderful time together in the presence of God and then having, you know, their workplace and their normal daily lives <coughs> inter intervened with by Jewish agitators say, what are you doing? You're a heretic. You are a disgrace. You are etc., etc. It might have got a lot worse than outside Parliament recently. It might, it might well have got a lot worse than that for most of the people in Thessalonica with the Jews stirring everyone up. So they knew what it was like to live in a hostile environment. They knew what it was like. Many of them had turned from idols, as we shall read in a moment. Many of them had uh, left idol worship to discover a living God. You know, when you think about idol worship, it is uh, extraordinary, isn't it, that people should shape something up themselves and stick it in front of them and then worship it. You know, yesterday I went to the Model Railway exhibition in Stevenage uh, and it was great fun and good stuff. There's lots of, lots of good model railways. None of, your, none of your train, you know, train set stuff, okay? Proper model railways. And uh, there's, there's a lot of them there and they look lovely and I've forgotten why I'm telling you this. Why was that? Why am I telling you this? Yes. Well done. And so there's these guys. They've spent hours making this stuff, you know. 
but they're presenting it to, to us for our enjoyment. They're not idolizing it. They haven't lit candles to their, uh, you know, their chuffer trade. They have not idolized it in that way. It's just something. But they've spent hours. They've, they've, I mean, the, the meticulousness of it all and the skill of it all is amazing. And they spent hours on it, but haven't made idols of it. People were turning from idols where they had maybe spent a long time. But of course, we know that there's a higher force that invests itself behind idols, the force of evil, and that that is actually what entraps them. And so people who've been trapped in idol worship are being released, you know? Maybe there was demonic forces there in abundance amongst the idol worshippers, and people were caught up in this, in this darkness and this hopelessness, and they are released into light and life. Wow. Wouldn't you want to be part of that? Wouldn't you want to enjoy that? Don't you want to be there? Yeah, but then on Monday, rubber hits the road. And suddenly, you know, they're in the world environment that was hostile to them. So we're going to start this week by looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and this fundamental, this right at the beginning, major issue, the foundation of who they are, the gospel of grace. They had come to know the grace of God. So that's what we're into here because chapter 1 in summary has two major sections. First of all, Paul rejoices in the experience of the power of the gospel of grace. And then he rejoices in their expressed love to all the believers in the whole region around Thessalonica. They became famous for their love and their support of all other believers in the area. Another thing for KCC to think about. How much do we love and care for all the believers in the area, whatever tribe they're part of? So, well, that's the introduction, okay? That's the introduction to the whole series. We won't do that again. So if you weren't paying attention, tough. Listen to it on the web. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Wow, well, you won't be surprised to know that I've got three points. The first one is this. The gospel of grace is meeting the power of God. And the second one is the gospel of grace is meeting the love of God. And the third one is the gospel of grace results in a bounding response. Okay? Ba-boom. And it's all going to be around just a few verses. And we're going to go backwards. What Paul, Paul's argument here flows one way, but today I'm going to take what he says and go backwards on it. So we'll start in verse 5, go back to verse 4 and finish up in verse 3. Isn't that fun? So, grace, meeting the power of God, verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know the... The gospel Paul preached was full of words. He preached words. You know, you can't not preach words, can you? You've got to say things. Have you noticed this? You see, what Robin discovered at work was he had to say things. It's not enough to be silent. People won't know the gospel and receive the gospel because you just go in these words the Holy Spirit will prompt you to speak words to people to have conversations what Paul is not saying here is that oh the gospel is whiz bang power no he's saying the gospel is words but not only words. Okay, you can, you can sometimes feel as if words are sort of getting a bit unnecessary because what we need is the Holy Spirit to fall on people and the Holy Spirit to heal people and everyone will see and everyone will get saved. No, you need words. You need to explain. Paul explained to the Thessalonians and he explained to the Bereans. The Thessalonians were a bit, bit thicker than the Bereans and they didn't really get hold of it. But the, the Bereans, it says they were more noble. They got hold of it. Well, a strange way of expressing it is more noble. But they got hold of it with enthusiasm. 
Because Paul explained to them. He explained that the Christ must suffer. He explained that what, would, what, Jesus, what happened to Jesus was the signs of the Messiah, which to the Jews was revelatory. And then with Greeks and so on, he would talk probably about their the, the need for a saviour, that they were people who knew, did not know God. Whatever religion you were following, whatever idols you were worshipping, you didn't know the true and living God. And so he would explain this to people. Do you remember when someone explained the gospel to you? Or in your hearing, maybe it was in a meeting like this, maybe it was one-to-one in the, in, the, in the cafe down the road, maybe it was one-to-one at work over lunch, maybe something somewhere, someone spoke to you. Do you remember that? I got saved because I listened to a Christian give his testimony and talk about what God had done in his life. That's how I got saved. That's what impacted me. He spoke about his life. Ladies and gentlemen, here today, please speak about your life when you get an opportunity. Please explain the gospel. People in this country do not know the gospel. You cannot assume that they know the Bible. They're not taught it in school. They don't go to Sunday school. There is a Bible-less foundation in this country now. The scriptures are not known. You need to say what the gospel is. We heard on Thursday about some Muslims coming to Jesus, you know, that, and they're asking, explain this Jesus. Guy walks into the church, says, please, exp- I want to know about Jesus. Explain Jesus to me. Oh, guy says, Alpha starts tonight. <laughs> so, what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about not only in words. Okay, so I... I want you to realise it's not only in words, but it needs words. And then the power of God will come. And that's what Paul's explaining here. He says the same thing to the Galatians and the Corinthians. Well, the Corinthians, he says this, not implausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is saying, yes, I'm using words, but then the power of God comes, so that your faith doesn't rest just in my words, but in the power of God. That what I'm saying is acknowledged by God. What I'm saying is underlined by God. What I'm saying is authenticated by God when you know the power of the Spirit comes upon you. And there is this combination of spirit and man that God uses now. You know, we haven't got... Jesus physically is not here. But we do have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will authenticate your words. Oh, I I long for more, to see more of this, don't you? 
that people would understand the gospel and be impacted in their lives in irreversible, amazing ways. Yeah? Transformation of lives. What about yours? This explosive power of the preached gospel that comes with full conviction. I don't know what full conviction what Paul was really getting at, there's so many different thoughts about what he's really saying here, full conviction. But we know that in other places he talks about the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come and he will bring conviction. And so there is this sense that he'll bring conviction of sin, but full conviction. You know, sometimes people do get uh, a, a conviction of sin, but it's not full enough conviction that they respond to the gospel. They just feel guilty for a bit. But when the power of the Spirit comes, there can be full conviction which takes them through this acknowledgement of guilt, this acknowledgement that they need a saviour, right through to receiving and being set free. You know, I got saved at 11 and there wasn't a a huge number of years of my life before then. Ten. And for those, the first, you know, first several, I've not got much memory of. I can remember flushing my dinky toy tyres down the toilet to see if they would go down the toilet. I can remember doing that, which was a great disappointment to me because then I realised I had not got any tyres on my cars. <laughs> anymore. I learned a lesson then that once they go down the loo, they go down forever. You don't get them back. And it was a big lesson, so big that I've remembered it ever since. I can remember sitting on a window ledge watching the fireworks down in the garden below. You can remember some things, can't you? My life didn't have uh, a tremendous amount about it, you know. And yet, I knew when I responded to God at the age of 11 in a field in Shanklin, I knew my life was changed. I knew a lightness in myself that I'd never experienced before in the whole of my conscious life of five or six years. I'd never experienced it before. You can say, well, Flo, you know, you had Christian parents and went to church every week. Yes, but there came this moment when there was conviction, full conviction, and I was released. I was set free. I, I didn't do anything except believe Jesus Christ was my saviour. I believed that when he died on the cross, he died for me. I know that he took all my sin and shame and he bore it on Calvary. I knew that. Deep down, irreversibly, irrevocably, it's there. And it always will be there. That there was a day in 1959 when I was changed by the power of the Spirit. My future, whatever it would have been, was changed. I now have a hope, a hope of glory. I know that Jesus is coming again, because Christian hope is a certainty. You know that, don't you? So when the Bible says the hope of Jesus coming again, that means that we understand the certainty of one day he will come again. And the longer it's been since he came the first time, 
the more amazing that sounds to us, doesn't it? You know that Paul and the Thessalonians probably expected Jesus to return within their lifetime. There are hints in, in, in Paul's writings that that was so, and that when he was approaching the end of his life, he was a little bit thinking, oh, I thought Jesus would have come by now. Goodness knows what he'd think now. And so the concept of heaven being opened and Jesus coming again is way, way, way beyond most people's imagining. Maybe beyond everyone's imagining. How can we imagine this? You know, I'm reading this really heavy tome by a very famous atheistic philosopher who became a Christian, became a believer, Anthony Flew. I don't know if you may have heard of him, you may not have heard of him. And uh, so he, he has uh, written this book which just traces the changes in his thinking as he went through life. How his atheistic thinking got challenged and challenged and challenged and how his discussion with scientists and biologists made him realise that their position as atheists was untenable. There must be a God. I can't imagine, he says, how everything started. But there must be someone who started it. There must be a God. And you know, one day, I know that I will see this God face to face. Do you? I know one day, if I die before he comes again, I will see him in heaven, in glory, while I wait for the rest of you. That's true, isn't it? Good friend of ours, Eunice Potter, died and her funeral soon, and she has gone to glory ahead of her husband, knowing that one day husband will die too, unless Jesus comes. And if Jesus comes first, then we who are left, well, you can read about it in Thessalonians, and we'll hit it later in this series this wonderful, exciting time when Jesus comes again. So, what about you? What have you been fully convicted about? You know, when I got saved, my salvation was based on fear, fear of death, based on guilt, guilt that I knew I was not worthy to stand before God. I had sin in my life. And all that was lifted it wasn't until I went to university and, and met people who were baptised in the Spirit that I really discovered there was a power to be had. There was a power in the Gospel. And we joined Terry Virgo's church, Jackie and I, and we, we, had, a, we had a great time there. As he went through Romans, week by week. Like we went through Ephesians week by week recently. He went through Romans and it was just extraordinary. You asked Colin and Jane, it was just extraordinary to have your mind opened, well, for us. I mean, I'd never understood it, never seen it before, as he talked about this amazing grace of God. 
But I was saved because I was loved. But I was saved because God drew me. He loved me and he drew me. I was saved because the Holy Spirit touched my life. I just love that when people get saved when they're older. You know, you can be a little bit envious. I, can I say that? I'm a little bit envious of people who get saved when they're older because there's more of an obvious transformation. Some of you know this couple of these stories. There was this men, two, two men in my history who came to God dramatically and have gone on, both of them, to be church leaders. <clears throat> and one of them was a guy in uh, our church in Sidcup. His name was Richard. And one day, when we thought he was hard, and, you know, why is this girl wanting to go out with this guy when he's not saved, you know? You should, you should not be going out with this guy. One day there was this dramatic moment when he saw it, when he understood it, when he said, oh, I've got it, wow. And we got so excited, I made him shout out his repentance out loud to the whole church, big church. And they were all sitting there and I, I made him shout out his repentance. And I declared over him the love of God. And it was amazingly powerful. And his life was turned upside down. As he embraced his salvation. The other one was Nigel, who will be with us in March coming from Bloemfontein to be with us in March and he also despite three alphas three alphas had not come to salvation didn't get it I still don't get it Dave he'd say to me I still don't get it and then one Sunday morning the Holy Spirit fell on him and he got it in a big way it's when you know they don't get it <laughs> and then suddenly they get it Boom! In the middle of the worship, he comes running out to me at the front and says, Dave, I got it, flung his arms around me, tears pouring out of his face. I, I get it, I get it now, I get it. He'd learnt to bow the knee in full conviction and the Holy Spirit came in power and his life was never the same again. What about you? What about me? I, I, I long for those encounters with God where he speaks to us again and again. That repeat of that salvation moment. If you didn't have a salvation moment like that, and I suppose I didn't either, then it's gr even greater for us, isn't it? It's even more magnificent for us to be able to step into the presence of God and know, I am redeemed. 
To be able to step into the presence of God and know grace has come. He's reached out to me. He's drawn me. He's, he's filled me. He's taken every sin. I've done nothing. There's no worthiness in me, but every worthiness in Jesus Christ. I have become in Christ a new creation. How joyful are we about this? How joyful should we be? See, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. He said, I saw it happen. I saw you transformed. I saw those moments in all of your lives. I saw it happen. I saw the joy that filled your lives. I remember it well, is really what he's saying here. I remember it well, and now I've heard stories from all over the place about you and how you continue in God, continue in this extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. They're talking about you everywhere. The stories of what God is doing amongst you are going everywhere. This is the grace of God to us, that we could be like this too. The stories of what go on in KCC could go everywhere. Surely it's the same God. Surely it's the same Jesus. Surely it's the same Holy Spirit. Should we not be receiving and going like they did in Thessalonica into a hostile world to live the life? To live the life. Oh boy, two more points to go. This is, the, look guys, preachers, you know, don't follow this example. Okay. Too long on point one, not enough time for points two and three. But we're going to go through them. Let's hit them because they're important, aren't they? Grace is meeting the love of God. It's this lovely phrase in verse four. We know brothers loved by God. In the margin you'll see it says brothers and sisters. Brothers Loved by God. Do you know that? Do you know it in your life? Do you know it in your head? Do you know it in reality? The reality is everyone here is loved by God. Everyone here is loved by God. Isn't it a fantastic Manjit's loved by God? Did you know that? You look at Manjit and you think, that's Manjit. Yes, that's Manjit loved by God. You look at Colin, there's Colin, loved by God. You can put love by God after your name. You're loved by God. What does love by God mean? Love, but you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Love by God. In the 1960s, there was this hot girl in the youth group that I was in. And uh, <laughs> she was hot. And I liked to talk to her. And, you know, this, this, this girl that I liked to talk to in the youth group became my wife. And she has loved me all through my life. Every day. Sometimes she hasn't liked me, <laughs> but she's loved me. You know, when we were first going out, I used to think, 
Wow. What have I done to deserve this hot girl? Look at me. I'm ugly. I'm useless. I've got odd shoes. I can't dress myself. <laughs> but she's loved me every day. Uh, and and it's, it, it is a hugely emotional experience for me. But whether you're married or single, God's loved you every day. And it could be a hugely emotional experience for us when we realise it's God of the universe, this awesome out there other who has come right into our lives and entered into our lives through the Holy Spirit. It's, it's awesome. And he's loved us. How do I know Jackie loves me? Well, she tells me, but also you know it from their actions, don't you? You know it from behaviour. You know it because you know it. Somehow you know it, don't you? I know it. So, you know, at home I play these CDs of these singers and I play along to them and the, the emotional songs get to me terribly, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing along to this song and I could be crying my eyes out because I'm thinking about Jackie. It's true. I don't mind telling you. Jackie probably does. But it's true. Did you know God sings over you? The Father sings over you. You're loved by God. It's true. Every day of your life, you are loved by God. He's on the lookout for you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you. He wants you around because he loves you. Point three, skipping some stuff here. Point three, grace, their abounding response. We look at verse three, we've got another three-point sermon, haven't we? In verse three, your work of faith, labour of love and steadfastness of hope. That's three points, isn't it? Your work of love. Sorry, wrong. Work of faith, labour of love. Work of faith. You know, if you've got the NIV, you'll see that it says works produced by faith because they're very keen as evangelical translators to make sure you don't misunderstand it and think that you're saved by your works. So they add this word in, produced by faith. It's not in the original. The original just says a work of faith. I don't know if that's important to you. But if I, if, I, if I do a robin tomorrow morning at work, it's a work of faith. I've, re I've received a word, you know, in the shaving mirror or whatever, and I go to work and my expressing to someone else about Jesus in my life or whatever the word is that's been given you, that's a work, isn't it? See, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, after talking about this gospel of grace, 
and how this gospel of grace affected you, but God, because of his great mercy and love, has saved you. He then says, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, and has works for you to walk in. He's already prepared works for you to walk in. For we are his workmanship, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you ready to do things? Because grace, the wonder of this salvation, the amazing grace of God to you, that you don't deserve, that you can't earn, that you can't add to or take from, is this amazing grace that is yours and always will be yours. You're loved of God. He will love you every day of your life. Does that not impel you to do the works he's got for you, he's prepared for you? Not just in evangelism, maybe it's other things, other gifts that he's given you. Well, let's walk in them. Let's, let's be clear that the, the God who saves us and redeems us freely, freely, is not demanding that you do these things for your salvation. He's not asking you for penance, you know. Like they used to ask the Catholics, climb the steps of St. Peter's, you know, on your knees five times and, and you'll be forgiven. No, Jesus forgives us freely. Absolutely. Completely. So absolutely freely and completely that Paul could say, what, shall we sin all the more then, I'm hearing? And the answer, of course, is no. And the answer leads you to, I'm just going to live the life because he's done everything for me. So there is a labour of love. Or as the NIV has it, a labour prompted by love. They found another P. See, they know there's a, there's a sermon in there somewhere. Labour prompted by love. What differentiates Christians? It should be that our love is prompted by our faith. That what we do for the Lord is not a work to get favour with him, but a work to express our thankfulness to others. And then finally, this phrase, steadfastness of hope. Literally, the word is endurance, and the NIV has endurance inspired by hope. They couldn't think of a P for that one. Inspired by hope. How much do you find you are inspired by the thoughts of Jesus coming again? Or is it just sort of out there somewhere, sort of floating around in the ether? Or does it inspire you daily to continue to live the life? Are you inspired to live the life through all the trials, all the hostility of environment, all the difficulties of your environment, everything that the world throws at us as Christians, are you inspired to push through because Jesus is coming again?
There'll come a day when every eye will see and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not cowed by the centuries that have gone before. I'm not, uh, I'm not subdued by the fact that pretty well 90, 95% of this country would mock that view. Because I know Jesus loves me. And he's coming again. I know I am saved. Do you know the joy of that still? And the power of it to transform your daily living. The power of it to see others transformed with signs following your expression of your life. Because guys and girls, that's what we're in. We live the life to the glory of God because he redeemed us. He saved us. He poured mercy on us when we didn't deserve it. He poured mercy and grace on us so that we might live the life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for all the wonderful things you've done in this room amongst this people. All of us looking back to our moment of discovery of you. And Lord, we pray for more and more moments of discovery of more of you in the days ahead, that we might live the life to your glory and see amazing things happen. In Jesus' name, amen.